So we are going to continue today in a very interesting place, and that is uh, in Acts chapter 27. It's a very appropriate passage for us. It's a, it's a passage that m- most people don't read. Even if you're reading Acts, you skim over this chapter. And it, it's, uh, it's, it has a lot to say. Uh, even when I was thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe I can knock off 27 in like, you know, 10 minutes and focus on 28 and be done, you know? But you know what happens? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So, um, I, so it's just very interesting. So I wanted to begin with this. You know, uh, and this really hits home, uh, in our, in our world today. You know, there's certain things in life that we have no control over. Right? No matter, no matter what, no matter how spiritual we are, no matter, no matter what, there are certain things we do not have control over. Right? Uh, we don't have control over oftentimes like s- certain kinds of physical, uh, diseases like, uh, the, uh, coronavirus. You know, uh, certainly we, there's, we don't have control over that. Nor do we have control over the weather, right? With all of our technology, uh, with all of our ability to forecast, and with, uh, you, you know, people of prayer, uh, you know, praying for well-being and so on, some fa- sometimes weather happens, right? Uh, clearly the, uh, the tornadoes in Kentucky and Illinois and Tennessee and, uh, you know, elsewhere, uh, uh, is, uh, is something that, uh, you know, certainly c- could not be controlled. Uh, and sometimes we wonder, oh, I don't understand. How do these things happen? Well, these are unanswerable questions. Why that street, not that street? Why that person? Why not this person? Maybe some of you have been in uncontrollable weather circumstances. You know, Janet and I uh, experienced uh, several earthquakes uh, in our life. I mean, the real deal, you know, we're sitting at home and the sun's shining, it's a normal day, and suddenly the walls are moving, uh, you, you know, and you don't know exactly if and when it's going to stop. Uh, and uh, and it's a very, uh, very scary, you, you know, to be in weather and natural conditions that are absolutely impossible to really control. And I'm sure we could all think of Lots of things, maybe just in our own little, in our own lives that we can't control. May have to do with loved ones, may have to do with other issues, our own selves, issues within ourselves that seem out of control, right? Well, chapter 27 is about a situation that's out of control. And it's, and, and we read, uh, Paul speaks four times in this chapter when things are out of control. And none of them are like a big speech. And none of them have to do with hurry up and say the prayer because things are out of control and we don't know what's going to happen. He speaks four times very pragmatically about the situation that he's in. And, uh, and so there's a lot to learn in our own current day from this chapter, uh, but also just in the big picture of things about walking with the Lord 
you know, and so on. So, uh, so there you go. So it's a long chapter, and uh, and I'm just gonna. I will stop at a certain. I'll just stop, okay, uh, at a certain point, uh, and uh, you know, and then continue next week. Uh, but we will uh, look at uh, hopefully most of it now. Uh, all right. So now I where we've been right, is that uh, Paul has uh, given his defense speeches uh, before all the authorities, and they don't know quite what to do with him, uh, and uh, they can't let him go because he said, I, I, want, I want to go to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen that had certain implications, and so now they're going to transport him to Rome, okay? How they do that is an amazing story. Uh, and when you read it slowly, it, you know, you really, you're at the edge of your seat, uh, uh, to see how this unfolds. First of all, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, Caesarea, where they left from, is just north of Tel Aviv, which is not too far from the airport, right? Uh, now, if they were going to fly, uh, you know, from Ben Gurion International Airport to Rome, few hours, you know, tops, right? Uh, and even in this day, if they were going to take uh, a boat at the best time of year where the, you know, the westerly winds are going well, it should take about five weeks, five to six weeks. They started in the month of August and didn't get there till March. It was a long, long, hard journey to get to Rome, okay? Now, in those days, uh, of course, to get to Rome, you had to take a boat. You had to sail on the Mediterranean. And there, it wasn't like there were no, uh, you know, carnival cruises. You, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, there weren't even passenger vessels, no matter who you were. Even if you were, uh, you, you know, uh, from the uh, Roman... Uh, uh, a government or army, you basically would find a vessel carrying cargo and travel on it. And this was a normal thing to do. This was passenger travel 2,000 years ago. Uh, it was on cargo ships. Okay? All right. So it says now, beginning in chapter... Oh, yes, now you can put it up. I'm glad I just remembered. I would have really been upset with myself. Okay, so here's a map. Okay, so on the far right, you see the blue, it's obviously the blue line, right? Okay, so where it begins is in Caesarea, okay? Then it makes this little little jaunt, you know, that's Sidon, that's Sidon, and then it starts to make its way, it's fine, leave the lights on, uh, it, uh, you know, it starts to make its way out, and it's hugging the coast, because of the winds, okay? It's hugging the coast because of the winds, okay? And then, uh, uh, you know, they uh, they stop. There's an island there, okay? And they're going to get on it. They're going to, that's where the, you know, that's where their connection is. They had to wait a few hours, get on the next uh, boat. You, you know what I mean? Okay? And then they're in this, ter see, they're in the open seas. Terrible, 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 terrible. Uh, storm, terrible, okay? Uh, it was only supposed to be really a three-hour cruise. 
You knew that was coming at some point, right? You just knew that was coming, all right? Okay, all right. And so they end up, uh, where they end up is at Malta. See, that's the island just below Sicily. And then they, it's a very rough road to get to Rome, you know, to, to get there. But they, they, they make it to Malta and they'll, they'll be alive, but they're not going to have their ship. Okay, so that's kind of the map. Let's leave it up there because we're going to, uh, you know, read this. And I, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the geography and, and on the history of the geography, but there it is, okay? Uh, and of course, seafaring tales were really big uh, among the Greeks. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, uh, Luke was writing to Theophilus, right? Uh, and so a seafaring, a seafaring story, you know, where you see the power of God and Paul speaking is, would be very influential among Greeks and Romans and, and, and so on. So we may wonder, why do you have this whole chapter in such detail? It, you know, it seems very different. It has led, unfortunately, some scholars to say, of course, you know, it was inserted later and it didn't really happen. But there's no reason to, uh, to believe that. And, uh, and as, uh, as our good friend Sam Meyer has said, said to, said in many classes that I took with him, where in a secular university, he would be, you know, reading the Bible and say, well, we give this text the benefit of the doubt, right? It's a great statement when you really think about it. Okay? It puts the onus right there on everybody else. All right. So, let's begin. So he says, and when it was decided, oh, yeah. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Okay? All right. So this centurion is Paul's protector because, you know, Paul's a Roman citizen. And, uh, and, and so this, uh, uh, Julius, it, it's not like he was a Messiah follower. But this was his job, okay? He plays a very important role in this story. And embarking on an Adramitian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. Now we, now the, uh, the assumption that we make is that Luke is writing this, and uh, Luke and... Uh, uh, Aristarchus were uh, accompanying Paul as, so to speak, his attendants, you, you know, uh, uh, along the way. All right. So this is a ship. This is a cargo ship. Okay. Uh, and they're, they, uh, they and other prisoners, we'll read, there's other prisoners, are on this ship now. Okay. So it says, the next day we put out, we put in at Sidon. See? Sidon. Okay. Which was about 70 nautical miles away from Caesarea. And Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. Now that, you know, that's like, he could make a whole message out of it, right? Okay. So we don't read anywhere that Paul was ever at Sidon. Okay. So evidently there are believers there, one, that, that there are more there are more congregations and uh, 
uh, believers in Yeshua than at the than the cities that are mentioned in the book of Acts. Okay, very very important. Now it's the year is probably fifty nine. Okay, fifty nine maybe sixty. All right. So it's int- just that's interesting. You know, I, uh, so you had 30, 40, 50, 60. It's only between 25 and 30 years after the resurrection. And you have now, you have congregations everywhere. It's pretty, you know, pretty interesting. All right. And also that there were, uh, friends, believers, right? And, uh, uh, and, uh, who were concerned. And so this, um, centurion Julius was not, was kind. To Paul, so they had stopped at this port, right? Uh, and evidently, either these people, either Paul is able to get off, or these people come on and they meet his and they meet his needs. Just a great word about fellowship and meeting the needs of uh, you know of of one another. Okay, and from there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary, and these winds. You know, two thousand years ago, they were they they were able to go by sail. You had sails, and you needed the winds. Okay, but at this time of year, evidently, the winds are going easterly, well, or westerly, while they're going east. Is that right? Yes. No, they're going west. Right? Yes. Okay. Whatever. All right. Never mind. Uh, and when we sail through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. We landed at Myrna in Lycia. And the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. Okay, so now from Alexandria, Alexandria is in Egypt. And Egypt was the breadbasket uh, of that part of the world. And so there was a, you know, important, uh, you know, important cargo uh, on this uh, on this ship, and this is uh, you know, and this is the ship they're on. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days, uh, and with difficulty, had arrived at Nidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon, and with difficulty. Again, you know, and with difficulty, sailing past it, we came to a certain place called Fair Havens, near where there was a city of Lycia. And when considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. The fast is Yom Kippur. Though the, so the fast it's amazing that, you know, you can count back and know when, uh, when this, when this took place. Okay. I can't remember the exact date, but in 59, it was in October. It was on a date in early October. Okay. This is the time period when you're not supposed to be traveling. This is from September through November is the most dangerous time of the year, according to, uh, you know, what I've read about this, obviously. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, here they are at this place called Fair Havens. Uh, you know, they could have stayed there longer, you know, and wait, uh, you know, till the time passed and then continue. Okay. And so Paul speaks up. 
Now, he must have had some kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, gravitas. I mean, he, he must have been a person that they were willing to listen to, right? So it says, uh, so when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast had, was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Man, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with danger, with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. Very interesting. So Paul says, very practically speaking, if we continue, there's a good chance we're going to die. There's a good chance you're going to lose the cargo, uh, you know, we'll lose the ship, and, and we'll all die. Okay? But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what then, then was being said by Paul. So in other words, the centurion hears what he says, but he, but the navigator, you know, says differently. So he says, mm, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the navigator. Very interesting that, that Paul, very practically speaking, takes, uh, precautions here, <laughs> says, you know, uh, let's not, uh, you know, let's not go. Now, Paul wanted to go to Caesar, and what we might expect of him at this point is to say, we're going. We need to just go, okay? But he doesn't. He looks at what's going on around him, you know, and makes, uh, and makes a case for it, okay? Okay, now, now verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, yes, it's in the Bible. Okay? A harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So they figure, okay, we're going to go farther. We're going to try to make it and go as far as we can, and then we'll spend the winter there. Okay, so now they're in this open sea area. Okay? And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had gained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But, but before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called a Eurakio, which, you know what that translates into English? Nor'easter. Now, if you're from upstate New York, where I'm from, that has a specific meaning, right? That the winds are coming from the south and the west, the northwest at the same time. And that produces, at least in the, in the, in the northeast of uh, the United States, the snow machine. <laughs> okay. Now they're in a different part of the world, right? Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and it's just, you know, terrible winds and rain and storm and, very, very uh, scary, right? And when the ship was caught in it, it could not and could not face the wind. We gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. In other words, we're just going to sort of ride the waves, okay? And running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. I mean, you got to let that sink in. What's going on? You know. They don't have lights. You know, they don't have navigation tools the way. This is 2,000 years ago. Okay. And after they had hoisted it up, they began supporting cables 
in undergirding the ship and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Citrus. They let down the sea anchor and so let themselves be driven along. You know, when you read about this in books, nobody quite knows exactly what that means <laughs> when the, with, the, with the ropes, exactly what that means. But, you know, basically what they were doing is they were trying to salvage the ship so that it would not run aground uh, and that they would not die, okay? The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, now, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. And when they had gone a long time without food, Paul now is going to speak. Now, I want to read something from a book called St. Paul the Traveler and, and the Roman Citizen. This, is, uh, this was written in 1907. And, uh, and I will say this, that uh, some people have said to me over the years, why don't you get rid of some books, right? So I purchased uh, this book, by the way, for $4.95 in 1992, and for the first time, I find it to be really helpful, uh, you know, and so I'll just say, there, all right, okay, I, and I will also say this, just so you know, a little walk down memory lane, it used to be a thousand years ago uh, that people like me would periodically make a journey to Grand Rapids, Michigan. What was in Grand Rapids, Michigan? Uh, uh, there was the Cathedral of Erdman, uh, and Baker, and Craigle, and a few others. Those are uh, uh, longtime Christian book companies, publishers. And they all had used book, uh, used book sections and also seconds, you know? Uh, uh, so if like one word, if one word was, was wrong in a, like a 10 volume set, you could buy it for a few dollars. You know what I mean? Anyway, so on one of those journeys I got. So, uh, this guy, uh, Ramsey, his name is, I, uh, who studied all this out, wrote this about this situation. In their situation, the great danger was of foundering through leakage caused by the constant straining due to the sail and the force of the waves on the broad side, which ancient vessels were not strong enough to stand. To lessen the danger, the sailors began to lighten the ship by throwing away the cargo. On the day after the whole company, Luke among them, sacrificed the ship's equipment. Uh, when it, uh, in verse 19, he, he, uh, he says it like this. With our own hands, we threw away all the ship's fitting, fittings and equipment. Uh, the extreme act of sacrifice. Uh, okay, uh, a little farther down, he says this. One of the miserable accompaniments of a storm at sea is the difficulty of obtaining food. And if that is so in a modern vessel, it must have been much worse 
in an ancient merchant ship, inconveniently uh, crowded with sailors and passengers. Moreover, the sacrifice of the ship's furniture must have greatly increased the difficulty of preparing food. Worse than all, the leakage was steadily growing from the straining of the mast, and yet they dared not cut the mast away, as it alone helped them to work off the dreaded African sands. Day after day, the crew sat doing nothing, eating nothing, waiting till the ship should sink. In such a situation, the experience of many cases shows that some individual, often one uh, not hitherto prominent and not rarely a woman, comes forward to cheer the company to the hope of escape. And then he goes on to uh, talk about you know what Paul has to say. Uh, I just thought I'd read that little part. It's a little part of a huge uh, section here uh, about uh, you know about this journey and the difficulty of it, uh, and that it seemed to be an out of control situation. Now Paul says, now he's going to speak in the midst of these dire straits. He's going to say a few more words. Uh, remember, first he said we shouldn't go. Now he says, man, you ought to have followed my advice. Okay? I, I, you, you, might, you ought to have followed my advice and to not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Okay? So here, uh, you know, okay, so now you made the uh, impractical, extremely dangerous, against all odds decision to travel. Okay, so now that we're in the midst of it, he says, now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. So this is a very interesting. You know, it's like good news and bad news. We're going to lose the ship, is what he's going to say. But an angel of the God of whom I... Wait, I have to go back there. Wait a minute. To, uh, uh, to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood before me. So, okay. So an angel of God stands before him. Okay. So when he says the, an angel of the God whom I serve, uh, you know, an, an angelic being uh, uh, spoke to him in the name of the Lord. Or perhaps this is, uh, you know, Yeshua, just as he appeared to him in the ninth chapter. Uh, we don't know, but the point is, is, is that here he, he has this visitation, uh, and uh, uh, and he says, very interesting how how he says this, an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve. So you know, when we say whose you are and who you are, he knew to whom he belonged, and he knew what his mission was. Okay, 
And so he knew that he was, you know, he was going to make it. And, but what he was told is that everybody's going to make it. You're going to lose the boat. It's going to be really difficult. Okay. But I, but I, you're going to make it. Now, how do you reconcile when he says earlier, we, we should wait. Okay. We shouldn't go now. But now that we're going, basically God has visited me and told me we're going to make it. What you see here is, first of all, he's, he doesn't say, repent, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and he, do, he doesn't even mention Yeshua's name uh, here. You, you think uh, maybe that he might. So what we see is Paul in a particular uncontrollable situation, how he handles himself. And how he handles himself is in a very practical way, yet at the very same time, in a very spiritual way, trusting God. But it's not a case of the current events are meaningless, uh, and if it's my time, it's my time. He wants to get to Rome. And so first he says, we ought to wait here at Fair Havens for a while. Okay, let's stay here for the winter, and then we'll go. Okay? But they say, no, probably time is money. Right? Uh, you know, they had this cargo, and they wanted to keep going. And so now that, now that the situation is what it is, it's not just I told you so and all is lost. It's I told you so, but God told me that we're going to get through it. Now, I would say that uh, we're fortunate that he had this visitation from God. I don't know too many people that have this kind of visitation from God and telling them th these exact things. You know, the application here is not, we all have this visitation from God, you know, and, and uh, no, but he's being, he's being practical, yet at the same time follows, of course, you know, what, what God has, has told him. It's very, just a very interesting observation to see how he handles in a very, I'm just going to call it a very balanced kind of way, you know? Uh, and, uh, and, and so you think now everybody's going to now bow down and worship the Lord. Okay. They don't. They don't. But the centurion listens to what he says. Okay. And, uh, well, let's just see what happens here. So, but when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, now this is not the same Adriatic Sea as, as today because you would say then it's not anymore in the Mediterranean. But, it, but, it, but 2,000 years ago, the Sea of Adriat was, was part of the Mediterranean, okay? About midnight. Now, two weeks, is, this is going on. Two weeks of this uncontrollable storm, right? About midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms, and a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, you know, Paul had said this was going to happen. So they, you know, they, they kept going, right? And, and fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. And as the sailors were, tying, were trying to escape from the ship, and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors for the bow. In other words, what the sailors are all trying to do is 
escape and leave the prisoners to die on the boat. Okay? This is dire straits. You know? Okay. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. So he's saying that you've got to stick with me and you'll live. That's, you've got to stick with me and you'll live. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's bow and let it fall away. And until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and, and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you all to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. So he's encouraging them. He's telling them, you know, now that we're in this a terrible situation, that, I, I, you know, I know what my mission is, and, and God has revealed to me, that, uh, you know, I'm going to make it to Rome, and you will too, uh, if you if you stick with me. And and he encouraged them to eat very practical. That's something to really get from this. He didn't, you know, it wasn't, he didn't just hide in a corner and pray. Or he was very practical. He says, you got to eat. Okay, there's some food here. Eat. Okay? So, I, uh, so he says uh, that uh, to them. And then interestingly, in verse 35, and having said this, he took bread and gave thanks in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. Now, <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting. There, the, the ship is all over the place. The wind is horrendous. Uh, they're, you know, they're uh, about to run aground, right? And so he tells them to eat, and then Luke tell, he's, you know, he said a blessing. Doesn't it kind of remind you, kind of reminds you of, uh, you know, the Messiah's table that kind of reminds you of that. Now, I don't think that they all like sat around a table. They were holding hands and, you know, and, and so on and so forth. But I think when they ate, I'm going to suggest at least among the Messiah, the, him and the people with him, at least him and his two cohorts, if not more who were believers, Sense the presence of God in what they were doing, you know? Uh, and they're like there's this moment where they eat and they're blessing God in the midst of this, of this horrendous uh, uh, crisis. Okay? Thanking God. I mean, it's really an amazing thing, right? In the presence of all, as a testimony, break it and, and they began to eat. That their faith never wavered, uh, in the middle of it. Okay? And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. And all of us in the ship were about 276 people. And when they had eaten, uh, when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. This is, this is the precious cargo, right? Remember, it came from Alexandria. Uh, this is where the wheat came from. They're throwing out the wheat, they're throwing everything overboard so that they don't sink and die. And when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a certain bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship into it if they could. This was the only way they were going to live. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes and the rudders and hoisting the foresail of the wind, and they were heading for the beach. It's like, 
you know, there's no way we're going to salvage the ship, but at least, you know, we'll, we'll live. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. Now, and the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, that none of them might swim away and escape. So these, so these sailors were not like, you know, the, the friends of uh, Paul here, uh, okay? Uh, they were not. His life was in, it was either the sea or the, or the sailors, uh, you know, you know we're, we're going to get him. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intentions. And the commander that those who could swim should jump overboard, oh, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first to get to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And thus it happened that they were all brought safely to land. And so you have this unbelievable, uh, you know, seafaring tale. Now, there's, uh, there's a few things that we can uh, get out of this. Okay, there's, there's a lot, but, but a few. One is just in the big picture, viewing this journey as like life, right? And being on this ship, uh, you know, uh, is a precarious place to be. And certainly uh, a great lesson is simply that, you know, uh, because we're Messiah followers, we're not guaranteed of some kind of uh, first-class, uh, uh, you know, passageway on, uh, you know, going from Miami to the Bahamas or something. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, that that uh, here, Paul was on a mission from God, and he could have been killed. And in fact, his own personal advice was, let's wait, you, you know? Uh, and uh, And so... Uh, it, it does certainly remind us of that, and and uh, being uh, using a nautical terminology, being anchored in the Lord, certainly is uh, is huge. The center section, which is the heart of the passage, is when he says, "I urge you to keep up your courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only the ship." And then he talks about having this visitation. Uh, and, and when he says, to whom I belong and whom I serve. Uh, and so, you know, uh, uh, Paul, when he says, to whom I belong, I belong to God. I am his. You know, uh, he dwells in me. I dwell in him. I'm, I am identified in him. Uh, everything that I am, everything that I do, wherever I am, in whatever circumstance I am, I am in him. Right? No matter, there's no sense of compartmentalizing uh, Paul's life, all right? So even though he's in dire straits, you know, he says, I belong to him and also whom I serve. Again, whose I am and who I am, <laughs> you, you know, it's right there in this verse uh, that he knows he's on a mission to get to Rome and he belongs to God Clearly, whatever God does with him is fine with him to live as Messiah. He's the one who said to live as Messiah and to die as gain. Yet, he wants to take proper precautions so that he gets there. He's not cavalier about 
his situation. Yet he knows that he belongs to God. And he has a personal, you know, he has a personal directive from God three different times in the book of Acts. That you're going to go to Rome, you're going to go to Caesar. You're going to, he says it several, God speaks to him several different times telling him that's what's going to happen. So he has that conviction. And so he doesn't say that, you know, that they're, they're you know, it's not just I told you so, adios. Pray to receive the Lord so you can go to heaven when you die. Because that's what's going to happen. Okay? He, you know, that is not, uh, you know, not what he says. Very pragmatic, uh, you know, in his walk with God here. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and so that is in whatever, uh, you know, situation we may be. And, of course, you know, as human beings, we have a great desire to control our circumstances. And when, when we cannot control our circumstances, that's when we get really edgy. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to pray that, God, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray that I do well on my final exam. All right? You know, but if you study for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you pray, I, I pray that I do well on my final exam, I'm guessing you're probably going to do well on your final exam, but you're going to give the glory to God. You know? I'm so tempted to to mention the words, touchdown Jesus, but I'm not, okay, all right? But the, the fact is, is that we control more than we think, even when we pray. Like, like uh, I pray uh, that, uh, I, you know, I'll be able to save up uh, an, enough money for something that I need. And so you save up, you do it, you, you know, you give the glory to God. Uh, even sometimes, I, uh, you know, when we have a medical procedure, yes, we pray. I, uh, and, and if it isn't something dramatically, uh, you know, iffy, praise God, right? But when we can't control it, that's when the rubber meets the road of do I really trust God or am I trusting myself? Because many of us are trusting ourselves using spiritual language, and then when something comes that really is off the charts, you find out what you're really made of. You find out where I really am. When it all gets stripped away, we find out what we're really made of. I had a friend many years ago. His name was Sonny Thayer, and he was a pastor in uh, Mansfield. Um, and, uh, and I was visiting him. And he was ahead of his time in, in many ways. He was extremely creative. Uh, and, uh, you know, and he would give a topical messages with, a, with like crazy titles, you know. So he told me that he gave this message called, We're All 12 Meals Away from Being Barbarians. <laughs> it was great. And this is what he was talking about. That, we live with a veneer of, of ease, you know, that, uh, that when it is stripped away, or even some parts of it are stripped away, where's God? Hey, I thought he was going to do this. Or things are never going to be, you know, hope is lost. Uh, you know, and we just go off the deep end in varieties of ways. And I would suggest that is why so many people have had so, many, so, much, ang- so much angst over the last few years, an uncontrollable situation. Where are my feet really planted? You know? And, uh, and, and so this chapter, I think, really speaks to us. Whose are you? Who do you belong to? 
What is your primary identity is kind of a nice way of saying that or a sophisticated way of saying that. If I am in the Lord, it doesn't mean that current events don't mean anything. It's just whatever happens, happens. No, we see here, here's someone who was sold out to the Lord who was being very practical and pragmatic in his decision-making in order to get there. And But at the end of the day, of course, trusted God to get there because this is what he had been called to. It's, a, it, it, it's just, this is worth reading over and over again. And to understand the, the um, nautical situation of hopelessness on this boat. There's some other things I, I think uh, that we can get out of this. I, uh, you know, one is uh, how Paul not only tells them they're going to live, but he encourages them. I mean, you know, he's like serving these pagans who hate him and wa- want him to die. You know, he's just, he's, he's cargo. He to them is cargo, but he encourages them. He's, and, and, you know, I'm not telling us this is not, everything he does is not a, a exact model. So I don't know how to say this without you thinking. I'll just have to say it. Okay. That he doesn't preach the gospel to them at this moment. Now that doesn't mean Howard is not saying that we shouldn't take every opportunity. Okay. Because maybe he did. It's just not in the, in the text. We should always take every opportunity. Howard is not saying don't, you know, but all I'm saying is, is just how pragmatic and practical he was in this and that practicality is not the opposite of spirituality. He was a great spiritual man who used common sense. Wow, that's hard to find, you know? Uh, you know, uh, And uh, did what was necessary. He could have blamed them and said, we're going down, but I know, I know in whom I believe. You know, you're going into the darkness of hell, but I am destined to the light of heaven. You know, uh, he could, I know people that definitely would say that. Okay. But that's not uh, how he conducted himself at all. He was cool, calm, and collected, so to speak. He knows who he knew who he belonged to, and he knew why he was there, and he knew how to minister to the people so that it, you know it would it would all play out. You know, God said to him, "Right, you're going to make it, and everybody's going to make it." Yet he feels the need to say to them, "You better eat." It's not just you're going to make it. Okay, I don't have to worry about it. He tells them, you better eat. Sounds, you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me very much of, of God telling Elijah when he's depressed, get some sleep and eat something. Very practical there, you know. In, uh, anyway. All right. Okay. So there's that. All right. A great modeling that we have of Paul here. Now, there's a couple more things, and then I'll be done. Uh, the next one is, isn't it interesting that, uh, you know, the way, this is, the way this is written, Rome is a faraway place. Rome is, I mean, it, it takes forever to get there, right? This is written from the perspective that Jerusalem is the center. And Rome, may I suggest, from this perspective, is like far away, like the remotest part of the earth, far away to go to Rome. But to the people of this day, to the people who are living in this day, Rome is the center, 
Rome is the center. But this is written from the perspective that Rome is a faraway place, like, you know, to the uttermost part of the earth, to the Gentile, you know, nether regions, you know? And that leads me to the last point, and that is there are two great nautical stories in the Bible, okay? One is Jonah, and the other one is this chapter. And I'm going to suggest that they uh, have a relationship, okay? Jonah, first of all, we may not realize this, but do you know how some of the prophets, uh, they embodied the message? Do you realize that Jonah embodied a message? He embodies the rebellion of Israel, of being a you know not not fulfilling their purpose of being a light to the nations, uh, you know, and so he travels. He runs away on the same body of water that Acts twenty seven takes place on, right? Uh, and because he doesn't want to bring the message to the center of the world, which was Nineveh at the time, okay. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, right, which was the empire of the day, uh, and he doesn't want to bring the message there. And so there's a storm on the water that forces him to go the other way, right? And you know that. And, and also, in the story of Jonah, Jonah had to be thrown overboard in order for the people to live, right? So what you have is the anti-Jonah, the antithesis of Jonah. You have the godly prophet apostle who wants to bring the message to the Gentile center of the world. And yet there's, there's another storm, a wicked storm, which might, which might make me question whether to take that Mediterranean cruise. But anyway, the, uh, the, uh, the, the point being, you have this tumultuous thing going on for two different purposes in Jonah and here. One is to turn, you know, to, to stop him in his tracks and to bring him back. And here it's simply God being present in the circumstances to bring him to the, to bring him to the right place. One could say that in both cases, the storm brought them to the right place, one in a godly way and one in a rebellious kind of way. And then also the fact that Paul, uh, they, they, that they needed him to be, uh, they, they needed him to live, but to be with them, not to run away from them. So you see, there is this, uh, uh, you know, uh, a great picture of the obedient, the obedient man of God going to the ends of the earth to bring the message to the Gentile world, right? So that's another me message here embedded, you know, in this text. But I think just finishing up, certainly the primary message, uh, you know, for us is that uh, we all live in uh, un uncontrollable circumstances sometimes. Uh, and the question is, uh, you know, uh, what, what is it uh, that we're going to do? How are, we, how are we going to handle ourselves? May we know to whom we belong, and may we know whom we serve, 
so that in whatever uncontrollable circumstance you're in, you can maintain. You, you don't sing, sing. You don't sink. Maybe you will sing. You don't sink. You know, sometimes I've uh, actually used the terminology of, uh, you know, navigating through choppy waters of life. Well, that's exactly what, what this is. And, and we're all called, uh, you know, to do that. And remember what Paul says, by the way, in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, which was written after this event, okay? Uh, you know, he's talking about uh, boasting, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and he says uh, this. Uh, okay, he talks about his difficulties. I more so in far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. By the way, three times. I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false uh, brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all of the congregations. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? And so he's talking about what it means to be a servant of God. So, uh, you know, may we, uh, may we prevail. May we sustain. Uh, and may we know whose we are, and who we serve. Let's pray. Uh, Lord uh, God, I uh, I pray, uh, Lord, that whatever circumstances we may find ourselves, whether it be right now or next year or the year after that and wherever it may be, may we we, uh, not forget to whom we belong and who we are. And Lord, may we really realize, as is here, our utter dependence on you, Lord. Lord, so many times in life we think we're depending on you and we're really depending on ourselves. But from time to time we face a situation where we must depend on you. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would continually be built up and continually be prepared for such a time as that. You can't muster it up in the moment. Lord, I pray, God, that uh, we would take this lesson uh, from, uh, from Paul. And we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.